I appreciate it. But okay, so let's let's flesh out the symbolic a little more because we've talked about it. Uh, rules, norms, values, uh, law, uh, prohibitions. These all depend on language. They're all signifiers, right? I mean, we can't really make sense of, uh, you know, the idea that you shouldn't kill somebody, right? Thou shalt not kill. H how does that exist without language, right? It, it, it's 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 determined. It, 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 language is required for that thought, for that idea. And so, what we consider to be ideas, even uh, thoughts, uh, all of this depends on language, and so. Primarily, the symbolic order, which he also calls the big other, is language. He also calls it the battery of signifiers, right? It's where all the signifiers are collected. It's all, we're all words. And so <clears throat> what Lacan brings to the table, you, you know this, uh, you know so, sir. Lacan based his theory of language, or we should even say his theory of signs, his semiotics, on so, sir's theory of linguistics, his theory of, uh, of sign semiology. And for Saussure, he believes that a sign, let's say the word cat, right? The, the word cat is comprised of two fundamental aspects. It depends on the, the literal mark, the, the, the literal word, what we call the word cat, right? This is the signifier, C-A-T, right? And for Saussure, the, the primary signifier isn't when we even write it, like uh, Dave is doing right now. It's that acoustic, he calls it an acoustic image, but it's not really an image. When, when, you're, when, you're, when you're not talking, you can think to yourself the word cat, and you can hear yourself say it in your mind. You don't audibly say it, but you can still, in a sense, you can hear yourself talk to yourself. That's what he thinks a signifier primarily is, is this inaudible signifier that you can hear yourself say but so a signifier is not reducible to literal marks actual marks but essentially to simplify it the signifier is the physical mark so it's either the audible speaking of the word cat or it's the the the, the writing of the word cat that's the signifier what the signified is is the concept that's attached to it so first of sir there's the, the signifier cat, and then there's the signified cat, and the signified cat is just merely the concept of cat, the image of catness, right? We, for Saussure, it's as if when, you know, the, the, there's a little image, like a, a stick drawing, I guess you could say, of a cat, right? And that is the concept of cat for Saussure. Well, Lacan accepts a lot of this, and his semiotics, uh, and Lacan, as far as I know, he didn't really call his theory of language or anything semiotics, but I'm using it as a generic term here for his theory of signs. What Lacan introduces is the primacy of the signifier. So Sturr thought there was a one-to-one -one correlation between a signifier and a signified, and that one-to-one -one correlation together formed a sign. A sign is a signifier and a signified. But what Lacan showed, and this comes out of his work in the clinic, this comes from his work dealing with patients every day, you know, with them free associating or at least attempting to free associate in, while doing psychoanalysis. And so he develops what he calls the primacy of the signifier. 
for so sir he feels like there's a certain uh, not a quality but um, the signifier and the signified are just as important for the create for the production of meaning for our ability to speak whereas for Lacan he puts the emphasis on the signifier and the reason is because he doesn't believe signifiers in and of themselves have a one corresponding idea and he feels like this is this comes out of so sir and this is very Derridian right Der Derrida mm -hmm. was thinking along these same lines which is to say okay so sir says signs don't mean anything on their own they only mean something based on their position in language that's why it's I wrote here that sign I wrote sign for sir signs are contextually determined right exactly but another the, the best way to put it is their differential it's precisely their differences between it's the difference between the word cat tree dog human right it's 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 a system of differences and the identity of the word cat actually depends on its its uh, you know its linguistic and conceptual differences between itself and all the other words in language and so for you know um, Heidegger right you go back to Heidegger and being in time Heidegger says there is no such thing as an equipment as a tool right to have a hammer yeah you can view it as some pure chunk of matter but the hammer in its full hammerness requires boards and nails the hammer depends on other pieces of equipment for it to be the piece of equipment that it is well so sir has a very similar theory when it comes to sign signs only mean something based on their relation or their difference to other signs right. and so both Lacan and Derrida say yeah that's right but so sir failed to take this to its logical conclusion which is to say those the, the, the each sign doesn't have some pure isolatable concept attached to it it's other signifiers being connected to other signifiers that produce signification that's where conceptual meaning comes into play is how you arrange signifiers among themselves so I'll give you basic examples right I put together a little list and the list is comprised of a series of statements I love this I love that now think of how different you register what the I means you when, when I you'll go through this list and you're gonna go well the I takes on drastically different meanings based on how it's connected to other signifiers so the first one right I love Christianity now the I that says that you get you you know you get a certain concept of what's behind that right so I love Christianity but imagine somebody saying I love Hitler now imagine somebody saying I love football or somebody saying I love Tumblr or somebody saying I love pornography or somebody saying I love Lacanian psychoanalysis you can try to act like are you that's just looking I at things in your room and saying that you love them <laughs> oh you, you, you there it is you you, you caught me uh, so uh, but no you see that the I in each case you get a drastically different concept of the subject in question based on the the signifier that follows it right Right. And so, and, and here's the thing even if somebody was to say, well, you're talking about the particularity of the I, what about I ness in general? 
even then you still have to go to other signifiers to even begin to make sense of what I means. And so Lacan, this is one of his famous ideas. In analysis, the signifier is what truly matters. And think about it. When you have a parapraxis, right? When you have a slip of the What's tongue. What's analysis? I used to not know this. Yeah. What is analysis? <laughs> well, it's, it's psychoanalysis. So therapy. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It, it's, you know, in this case, it's going in and free associating and, and the analyst trying to get the analysand or the patient, but Lacan calls the patient the analysand, trying to get the analysand to stay focused on those areas of their speech that that have certain centers of gravity. Okay, so if you're an analyst, you want to pay attention. Some people will always be repeating something. They'll always have to talk about this person. No matter where they start off in, the, in, in analysis, no matter where they start talking, it's like all roads lead back to their uncle or all roads lead back to their coworker. Well, the very fact that it keeps getting repeated, that indicates to the analyst that something's going on there that needs to be explored. And the way you explore it in analysis is to have the analysis free associate. Keep talking mm -hmm. about it, fleshing it out. Keep saying whatever comes to mind about mm. this, right? And a lot of people, it's like they always will, it's like a center of gravity. They're always pulled towards that. But the second you tell them to keep talking about it, and it like then they want to not talk about it. But then the other big indication is when say somebody's been in analysis for six months and then they finally mention this uncle or this this aunt or this friend that they had growing up who was a major person in their life of course it could be their mom their dad their grandmother but if somebody totally avoids discussing a certain topic that had a big impact on their life history that's another indicator you want to talk you want them to free associate on that so it's the things that they always repeat, they always go back to, and the things that they avoid, like the plague. Uh, yeah, that's a poor choice of words, considering what's going on. But uh, it, it, the things that they constantly go out of the way to avoid talking about or the things that they can't help repeating, those indicate that there's some sort of unconscious trauma, some unresolved issue there. And that's what analysis is about, is working through these kind of things and it depends on free association. Mm. And so, and and, okay. and 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 I, I would just like, and this is tan this is related to the whole Oedipus thing we're going to get into. Just the then this is the the analyst versus the analyst and analyst and the person laying on the couch or whatever. They're the free associating person, um, and the analyst is the person who sits there now now in. In, in American ego psychology, it's like, oh, how do you feel about that? And, oh, you know, what about you do this? And what about that? And it's more of like a... You're buddy. They're you're like, not, they're your buddy. buddy. And for Lacan, it's like, you're not going to fucking grow up talking to a person who's doing that. It's infantilizing and not, not in an explicit way because they can be a very mature, very uh, sophisticated psychologist. You know, they've, they've done a lot of schooling to get to where they are. Um, and you've got a, you know, a healthy therapist, you know, patient relationship here, but, but, but for, from the standpoint of, of, of this kind of an anal uh, analysis, um, because of all of this stuff having to do with desire, like we put that person in the p power position, we put stuff on them. Like we want their affirmation. We want their recognition. We, we think that they have answers to our problems. And a big part of the analyst's job is, not giving you what you want. 
and yeah. not not feed it. It's like it's actually one of the most excruciating, excruciatingly awkward things a lot of the time because they restrain themselves and they're very well practiced in 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 not not just kind of like the way that I talk with, like when you're talking and I'm sitting here nodding my head or, or whatever, like, you know, I do that in conversations because it's, you know, no, <laughs> you're not going to get that from an analyst. They're like, because to, to, to win at an analysis, like a big part of it is like, well, we, we can get into that later, but, but, but basically they have to foil your desire. Well, exactly. Well, here's, but here's the thing, right? If you stay locked, the, the first thing, there, there's kind of a trajectory. Bruce Fink, in his great book on how Lacanian psychoanalysis or Lacanian theory functions in the clinical setting, Bruce Fink's book is amazing. We'll, we'll talk about recommendations as we approach time to wrap mm, it up. Mm -hmm. But uh, Bruce Fink says, look, at first, analysis has to get past the imaginary. Essentially, the imaginary is bullshit. You are not these images. This is not the truth of your subjectivity. This is what you think you are. This is what you you are convinced that you are. But you are not images that you identify with. Those are not you. And so the thing is, if you lock in to the analyst as an alter ego, the whole interaction is going to be based on you like this, I like that, you think this, I think that. And it all becomes this tug of war. Because even though we didn't go into it, part of the imaginary uh, order is aggressivity, right? You're always, we've talked about this before, right? When we talk about the imaginary, where when it's ego to ego, at first, if you see somebody and they're too much like you, you immediately hate them because you're sitting there going, how dare you? You're taking my identity from me. You pose a threat to my identity, right? You see this in every area of life. And then if they both come to give each other mutual recognition, then they become like best friends because they validate each other, right? This is the kind of shit that's going on in the imaginary register, and you have to totally get past this uh, in order for the real work of analysis to begin, which, you know, there's substantial work to be done in the symbolic, which has to do with some people suffer because of the norms they feel like they have to live in accordance with the values that have been imposed on them that they feel like they can't live up to, right? They like part of analysis for some people is breaking down the norms that they feel like they have to be a subject to, right? Mm. Getting free from these norms, these values that uh, stifle desire, that that uh, keep you from being who f you you feel like you you need to be, right? But the real work of analysis is even beyond the symbolic, which has to do with the real. And in this context, it means all of those repressed traumas, all of that unconscious baggage, all, all of those unconscious resolved, unresolved issues that you haven't worked through that continue to affect you and shape your life in negative ways, right? So, I mean, a basic example would be imagine somebody who in their romantic life, they always date the same kind of person and yet this type, you know, is highly problematic leads them to live a, dis, a life of dysfunction. And so there's unconscious mechanisms at work that causes a person to desire this type that actually prevents their pleasure, prevents them from living a fulfilling life. And those kind of dynamics are in the real, right? They're all, they're unconscious. They're not part of our conscious or even pre-conscious reality. And though that's where like the real work of analysis 
has to go. And so that is where analysis starts focusing on your unconscious desire, your drives, your, your fundamental fantasies, um, that sort of thing. And those are all, for, for, for us, those are all out of conscious, pre-conscious awareness. And so the real aspect of analysis, the, the, the main meat of the work is to be done on the real. But you, it's like a, it's almost like a dialectic. You start with the imaginary, and of course, uh, you know, Lacanians, uh, Lacanian analysts don't want to talk. They, they they talk as little as they possibly can, right? They want you, the the patient, the analysand, to free associate as much as you can. Why? Because they don't have the the key to your unconscious. You have it. The knowledge to what's going on with you is in you, not in the analyst. The analyst just is there to serve a pure function to facilitate you coming to this awareness for yourself. But they don't have the knowledge you do. And like yes, we have the sounding board. Yeah, we've talked about it before. Like this is where you have to go into analysis duped. You have to go in believing that the analyst is the big other. In this sense, the one who knows, the one who has all the answers in order to get anything out of it. And and even though the analyst isn't the big other, the the analyst doesn't have all the knowledge. It doesn't have any knowledge of your unconscious to begin with. And so only you know, only the duped, only those who go in expecting something from the analyst that the analyst doesn't have can actually achieve something in analysis. And uh, <clears throat> so th this is where, um, but this essentially analysis will eventually get to the real. It'll get to all the repressed baggage that we're walking around with that determine our life, determine our romantic endeavors, determine our career aspirations, all of this kind of stuff. And all of those things that we do that constantly repeat our suffering, that keep us suffering, that, you know, um, generate psychical issues, all this kind of stuff, those are all situated in the real. And so this is a good way to pivot towards the real um, and, and some other stuff that's in it. We interrupt this conversation for a quick message from our sponsors. You may recognize this conversation from the past because it is actually a piece of a longer live stream. So what I've done is I've edited the conversations I had with Mikey down into smaller chunks and I will be releasing those serially until the launch of the Slavoj Zizek's For They Know Not What They Do course taught by Michael Downs and myself. I will be asking him the questions and hystericizing him along with a cohort of people who will be joining us live and in the forums as we do a close reading of what Slavoj Zizek claims is his most important theoretical work, more important than sublime objective ideology by far. He said that if you don't have anything to say about for they know not what they do, then keep silent when it comes to sublime objective ideology. But we don't just do close thorough, hardcore readings. We also have some more introductory stuff. And so if you go to theory-underground.com forward slash events, then you'll be able to see the dates of all of the upcoming events. You see that the idea of the university taught by myself, Brian and Anne, a couple of educators who are very close to me. And uh, we wanted to focus on Carl Jasper's short work, The Idea of University, as a way to start the year, but it's also a way for Theory Underground to get off on the right track. The January 25th, is the professional managerial class consciousness course that I'm co-teaching with 
Elton LK of the Working Class Intelligentsia podcast. And then in February, on the 25th of February, launches GJX4, They Know Not What They Do. Mikey has spent two decades getting himself to the point where he feels confident enough to teach this book. And I think that that humility and effort that he's put in is something that we can all learn from. I mean, come on. He's like our own homegrown Zizek. He's like our own like national treasure. I think that we really ought to uplift him and give credit where it's due, not just take him for granted and act like, you know, we don't need to. So that's a part of the reason actually why I really appreciate Brian Becker from Singularity and Sublimity podcast. He's done a lot of amazing teaching work himself. And then the last thing, I'm doing a countrywide tour this year. I will be on the East Coast, I will be on the West Coast, and I will be everywhere in between. So if you want me to come to your town or city, email me, it's down below. If you want to volunteer, be a part of the street team, host or guide while we're there, let me know. I hope to be in a city near you sometime this year, and I hope that you'll take one of my classes. Thanks.